Johnstone, and this is the illustrious Paul Anderson, and we've got a new topic on the docket for this week. We're going to be talking about identity. Now, that can mean a lot of different things to a lot of people. What What do you mean, Paul, when you say, let's talk about identity? Pretty simple. Who you are. Your identity is who you are. Your destiny is where you're going that we need to understand about our identity. Well, let me ask you a question first. Okay. What are our chances of walking into our destiny? Here's a clue. Most people don't. Hmm. The two pictures that most determine whether you will fulfill your assignment on earth are your picture of yourself and your picture of God. Your self-identity is not who you are, this is important, but who you think you are. Mm -hmm. A prince who doesn't believe he is a prince does not live like a prince. If he thinks he's a pauper, that's how he lives. Sorry for the prince. A saint who believes he is a sinner lives like a sinner, and many saints do. Our creed becomes our conduct. What we believe about ourselves is how we will live. Said more simply, and I like this, we behave our beliefs. Mm -hmm. In fact, it is not possible to live in a way that violates what we believe about ourselves. A person who is convinced that he is abandoned will live as an abandoned person, regardless of what people tell him. A girl who thinks she doesn't measure up will operate out of her distorted picture. Perception is reality, both with regard to ourselves and to God. So the prodigal left home to discover a more exciting life. When it didn't work for him, he decided to return home. He was surprised to find out that he received back home what he wanted out in the world. A party, nice clothes, cool shoes, great relationships. He was amazed at how generous and forgiving his father. Meanwhile, his older brother wondered why he never got anything from his stingy boss. You notice that he never called him father. Mm -hmm. He said, look, that's what he called him, look. Choked up by anger and resentment, his tight fist could not accept the gifts his father held out to him. And he lived like a slave, though he was a son. He frustrated the grace of an outlandish dad, which is what Christians do with a skewed picture of their Heavenly Father. So that, that's a really important picture, how we view God. That's also important how we view ourselves. Jesus told a story shortly before his passion of a businessman who gave three men money to invest. Then he went on a long journey. Two men made good on their investments, 100% return on the money. Good investment. The third buried his investment, perhaps out of fear that he would lose it. When the master returned, he commended the first two servants. The third told him, 
I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. Something had convinced this servant that his master was difficult to deal with. His perception was his reality, and hard is what he got. Two men fulfilled their calling and carried out their God-appointed destiny. The third was crippled with fear and fell far short. The master described him as wicked and lazy, and he never lived out his purpose. Yeah, that's that's. I always thought that was a really sad one. And, and, and what's interesting is he doesn't own up in any way to, I was lazy or I chose not to do it for good reasons. Here are the good reasons. The market is untrustworthy, whatever. <laughs> um, he completely blames the master. Yeah. Because you are so terrible, blah, blah, blah. Um, and you got to wonder, where did he get that from? Like, Why? The energy didn't say anything like that. That was it wasn't in the passage. Um, in fact, you really like the guy after you see how he dealt with the first two. Yeah, he said, "Come on in. Let's enjoy time together. Let's have a party. Let's celebrate. Way to go! You did good." So he was he was a good guy. He was a good master. Right. And and even if he ha even if he was exactly what the guy said, why didn't he still obey? I mean, he's the servant. Isn't that his job to obey the master? Even if the master is a normal master like every other in the world who harvests where he doesn't plant, and like, what's that to you? Yeah. This is your job. You didn't do it. But he blames, he blames, he blames, like Adam, you know, in the garden. It's this woman you gave me. Um, you you, you got to wonder, where does he get that from? This this distorted picture, The his, his view of God, because God is obviously the master in that parable, his view of, of his master, his view of God, is so distorted from reality that that traps him into not fulfilling his destiny. Like you said, your behavior is going to flow out of your belief. Yes. I've thought a lot about that. And I've thought about people who have become, maybe not hardened, but disappointed. Mm -hmm. I think that's a good word. We were disappointed mm -hmm. when we had a prophetic word that this birth was going to be different. Mm -hmm. And we were excited because Karen had three difficult births. We got them through, but they were difficult. This one, this one was very different. Uh, cord around his neck three times and we never knew him. And that took Karen out for a while. She, she, uh, she didn't know God. That was a, it was a tough time. For well, it, I think a trauma like that, it distorts your picture of God, who you thought God was. Mm -hmm. I thought God was good and loving. And my definition of what it would mean if God were good and loving is that this terrible thing wouldn't happen to me. Mm-hmm. Because we throw our own definitions in there, you know, yeah. for for that identity piece. And then when it doesn't live up to that, when something happens that that we can't fathom, we can't reconcile with our picture of God, the picture gets 
torn or crumpled yeah. or something. It took and, her a year. Yeah. And it took her a year to get to home. And a year is not long. Really. No, it isn't. I, no. I've, I mean, I know you've talked to people too, but it's been years and years and sometimes it's 20 years and they they can't get over that one thing that happened i prayed that my grandma wouldn't die of cancer she died of cancer i used to adamantly believe god didn't exist and now i will admit that god exists i just hate him yeah and i've had that exact conversation multiple times i think zachariah while it's it's not as severe a case as what i shared i wonder if he had a disappointment that made it difficult for him to respond properly. You're talking about Luke chapter 1 and 2. Yeah, yeah. When um, he gets visited by angel Gabriel, who comes with the most wonderful news that he could imagine, that he'd been praying for all his life. Don't know if he was still praying for it, but he had hoped for it. and. Now, here it comes, and Gabriel is sent to give him this great news, and he gives him the great he news. He should be jumping up and down. That's right. Absolutely. He should be tempted to finally, drink the wine right off the altar. <laughs> yes, here it is. Here it is. What I've been praying for, what I've been longing for. And he said, how can I be sure? Wait a minute, Zach. When was the last time an archangel showed up in the church? <laughs> you know, here he is. That should be sign enough that God is breaking through. But I think there was some kind of hardening of the arteries, and he he paid. He he had a long quiet time, uh, a time out. Long time. Out. <laughs> long time out. Nine months is a long time. Yeah. <laughs> and so it was pretty quiet in uh, Zachariah's house because Elizabeth, she Elizabeth was in probably seclusion. loved it, let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> All he could do was listen for nine months. Yeah. yeah. Well, so what this says to me is that we need to guard our true picture of God because, like I already said, perception is reality. Our reality is what we're seeing, not what truly is. Right. So we need to compare it with truth. How is God really? He's always loving. He's always forgiving. He's always gracious. He's always doing good, even if I don't see it. I like what Mother Basileia, she was the, the queen mother of this Lutheran sisterhood in Germany. And she said uh, in one of her books, Father... I don't, how did she say it? Father, I don't always know you, but I trust you. So I think that's really important because we all run into those times when we, we experience that disappointment. You really can't help but experience it in life. That's right. The, the baby dies. Mm -hmm. There is no positive spin on that. Mm -hmm. there, 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 there's no way... To not be affected by that, sure. it's going to bring disappointment, and it's gonna it's gonna affect your picture of God. And I think that probably did happen to Zachariah. I think he probably prayed and sacrificed for years and years and years and years and years, and all he got was silence and nothing. Yes. And I think he, I think his picture of God got distorted, and I, it seems like he probably got bitter and actually pulled away from God relationally. 
And the reason I say that is because every other time an angel shows up in the Bible, a godly person falls down in fear. Every I can't think of a single time an angel shows up where a godly person does not fall down in fear. Now an archangel, not just pedestrian angel, Joe, okay, <laughs> Gabriel, the big guy, shows up and he mouths off to him. He doesn't fall down in fear. Well, he, he is, a, it says at first, he, I think. I think it says he was afraid. But I don't think he falls down, does no, it? No, probably not. And to me, that says that the fear of the Lord wasn't there. Maybe not, yeah. Because I think he pulled away relationally. Yeah. Um, yeah. He didn't do what Karen eventually did, which was to surrender. Mm-hmm. The humility. And that quote you, you, you just gave was so good. Because at the end of the day, we don't understand yeah. what God does. And that's the whole message of Job. Mm-hmm. Job is like, Did, is this my fault? Is this your fault? And God said, shut up, you don't know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. The last two chapters, amazing, one of my favorite <laughs> yeah. parts in the whole Bible. God yeah. is insanely sarcastic. It's absolutely hilarious. And the whole bottom line is, you don't know anything, Job. You're like this big mm-hmm. in an immense cosmic universe, except that fact. Mm-hmm. And either worship me or don't. Mm-hmm. Ready, go. <laughs> and sometimes... We want, to, we want the answers, especially today in the information age where I can pull the supercomputer out of my pocket and get any information I want mm-hmm. in seconds. If something is happening in my life that I don't understand, I feel I have a right to understand it. Mm-hmm. But the reality is we don't. That's nowhere in Scripture does it say, I will let you always understand everything that's happening to you. You will always know why. That's not in there. And that is supremely frustrating, especially to the younger generations. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and to a lot of them, I think it causes, it causes problems because it really requires an extra amount of humility in this day and age, I think, to be able to accept a God who will tell you when he decides yeah. it's good for you to know. Let me add one more dimension to this. We're talking about identity and two pictures are important for identity our picture of ourself Mm -hmm. our picture of god we're looking at our picture of god and we've seen in the prodigal son story that they had two opposite pictures of a father one is generous and one is stingy according to the elder brother the father is stingy and he got stingy that's what he that's what he got that's what he received Mm -hmm. he got nothing from the father because he wasn't able to uh, receive it, and then we told the story about this man who thought the master was hard. We go back to Genesis, and we see how Satan is going after these two pictures as well. He's going after the picture of God, mm-hmm. and he is attacking Eve. He comes at her craftily, slyly, and says, Did God really say... You shall not eat from the tree. It's a good serpent voice. Pardon? That's a good serpent voice. Thank you. Yes. I thought it was pretty crafty. <laughs> and Eve had a strange response. Yeah. He, she said, we can't eat from the tree. We can't even touch it. So he knew. He knew he had her now because she already is wondering a little bit about this God who maybe is a little insecure, 
we can't touch the tree. <laughs> and so he said, this is what he says. God knows if you eat of that, that you will be wise like he is. In other words, God's insecure. He, he, he doesn't want you to be wise like him. <coughs> you shall not surely die. God says you will die. Satan says you will not die. That's how bold and brazen Satan is. And he goes after my picture of my father. Mm -hmm. And he goes after ours. Those of you who are listening, he will go after you and he will try as best he can to whisper lies into your heart that will cause you to believe a lie. They did. Ah, it was devastating. And I think those are the most common lies that he does try to get us to believe. Lies about God, lies about ourselves. Yes. Those, are, those are the two, the two biggest areas. Especially God. Getting us to believe God is not really as good as he's been made out to be. He's not really as forgiving as he's made out to be. Like, you know, some of those things those people say, like, he's not going to forgive this. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, you know that, right? You know he's not going to forgive you. I mean, come on, be honest. Mm -hmm. That That's ridiculous. Yeah, and he blesses people. I just don't happen to be one of them. Right, right. I, you're, maybe you're one of God's kids, but you're not one of his favorite kids. Yeah. And it could be related to how I messed up when I was in 11th grade. Mm -hmm. Something back there, he forgives, but that, I, I don't know if he forgave. It's disqualified. Yeah. I think that's a common lie, actually. And later on, maybe maybe next week, um, we'll get to some, some really common ones that we have seen in people. But that's a big one. I'm disqualified. Yeah. Um, sure, God loves me. Yeah, I'm his kid. But I'm disqualified from anything really important. Mm-hmm. Because I've made major mistakes or whatever it is. So so that's the picture of God. And what about, let's talk about the picture of ourself. I think of two people whose names were Saul. One's in the Old Testament, one's in the New. Saul, in the Old Testament, he became king. He had a distorted picture of himself. We don't know how that comes. Identity comes from love or the lack of it. If we're loved, we we learn to appreciate who we are. I have value. I have worth. If we don't have that, if, if something is withheld or worse, if we are abused, it will distort our picture of who we are and we'll, just, we'll struggle mm -hmm. to know who we are. In college, I read the book Death of a Salesman in our, for our English mm -hmm. class. And in that last scene, Willie Loman is being lowered into the grave and two African-American, the, the sorrows of life uh, made him go on a pursuit for who he was, but he never really found himself. It's sad you know, that, mm -hmm. that when we have a skewed self-image, that becomes our reality. Perception is reality. And we behave that belief. I don't have what it takes. I I can't amount. You were in, in this cla class, in this office, with the pastors, remember? Mm -hmm. And I we talked about this. And then I asked, okay, where have you struggled with your own identity? One of them, who is an apostle in Central America, said, I've had this voice all my life. You don't have what it takes. 
Mm-hmm. That's that's a, a a voice that a lot of men hear. Mm-hmm. I think women hear the voice: "You're not beautiful. You're you're not that special. Not lovable. Not lovable. Yeah. We have the voice. You you're not going to get there. You don't you don't have what it takes. You're not going to cut it. So so and you know, I. I remember telling him, the fact that the devil has to tell you that all the time should be an indicator right there. <laughs> I remember that. That you probably do have what it takes. Yes. He doesn't have to tell that guy over there he doesn't have what it takes. Because it's obvious he does not have <laughs> yeah. what it takes. He has to tell you every day because you do have what it takes. Yes. Because yes. God gave it to you, not because you're inherently awesome. Um, and that's that's one of the... One of the main factors, I think, and, you know, Death of a Salesman is a good example. Um, the reason I, I hated that play when I read it is because he's he's just so selfish. He is self-centered. It's always about him and nothing else. Mm. Me. That's that's not how we're supposed to live our life. Yes. You know, he, he, he never once humbles himself, obviously, before God. I mean, it's not a, it's not a Christian writing, but um, humbles himself before the Lord and says, Thy will, not my will be done. He never mm-hmm. says, I must decrease, you must increase. He never says, what is it you want me to do? What What is my identity? What is my destiny? No, he just goes out and tries to please himself and, and um, pursue selfishness, which is what most people do. And, that's, and I think that's why they never find their destiny and they get really depressed and it affects their identity ultimately too. That's what happened to Saul, this yeah. Old Testament king. His insecurity kept showing up, and even after Samuel corrected him and said, you're going to lose it, he said, please honor me in front of these people. It was all about Saul and his image before the people, because he didn't have a good image. He didn't didn't see himself. He said, but I am not, am I not a Benjamite? From the smallest tribe of Israel, and is not my clan the least of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why do you say such things to, to me? Samuel was telling him, you're going to be king. This, this is going to be a, a, quite an assignment. And he saw himself as a nobody from nowhere. Automatically disqualified. Yeah. Although he was called to be king. Mm-hmm. And that kept... Coming back, Samuel, when he rebuked him, he said, Although you were small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? Yeah. So. And there's a lot of identity pieces there in the, in the story of Saul. I mean, the reason the people like Saul was for all the wrong reasons, too. Not because of who he was, not because of his character his ability to be selfless and to rely on truth and rely on the Lord. It's because he was really tall and really pretty. Mm-hmm. And he was pretty good in battle. Like the, those aren't the reasons to choose a leader unless we're like way back in the day, you know, <laughs> when we're all running around in skins. Okay. You yeah. Know, if we got to survive the other tribe or the monkeys that are attacking us, we want the big strong guy, but like we're almost to Solomon. We've gone a ways now. Like they should be past that, but they, they weren't. And they kind of got that. They got that self-centered kind of guy. By contrast, a New Testament Saul, he considered himself a terrible sinner, but then he adds, but for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me the worst of sinners 
Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe. So he took the humble route in contrast yep. to the other Saul, yep. and God chose to exalt him. He became the most powerful apostle ever. Mm -hmm. I think that's a true statement. Well, let's, why don't we wrap it up here, um, and I want to I come back next week to the prodigal son passage, because I think that's such an important one for identity, and I think it's one that a lot of people are familiar with. So it's a good jumping off point. But let's wrap this up for this week, and we'll see you back again next week.